This is Generation Justice, a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. I'm Brennan Olivier. And I'm Tamara Kalaki. Justice, in any form, begins with equity. When every person has the opportunities and the access to resources for achieving safety and happiness. Tonight, we discuss defending the rights every person has to health and achieve their dreams. We're joined by Nancy Koenigsberg of Disability Rights New Mexico to hear about how people with disabilities can find the behavioral health resources they deserve. And we will learn about June as Immigrant Heritage Month when we speak to Adriel Orozco of the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center and Carla Molinad of the New Mexico Dream Team. And our community calendar will keep you up to date on all the events going on this week. So, keep it right here. We will kick off the show with some tunes. Here is Michael Franti and Spearhead with Hello, Bonjour. Disability Rights New Mexico, or DRNM, is a nonprofit legal rights organization that works to protect the legal and civil rights of persons with disabilities. For more than 30 years, DRNM has worked in our community, providing information, case advocacy, awareness training, and more. One of the priorities for DRNM is to ensure that people with disabilities receive quality behavioral health care in outpatient and residential settings. Nancy Koenigsberg is a legal director for Disability Rights New Mexico and joins us to talk about how people with disabilities can find appropriate care and what to do if you can't. Here is Christina Rodriguez speaking with Nancy. This is Christina Rodriguez with Generation Justice, and I'm here with attorney Nancy Koenigsberg, the senior attorney at Disability Rights New Mexico. Welcome to Generation Justice, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to start off, if we could just have you please introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I work at Disability Rights New Mexico. We're the state's uh, designated protection and advocacy system. We work only for people with disabilities, and the mission of the agency is to protect, promote, and expand individual rights. Where does your role fall into that as senior attorney? Uh, Well, I work on behalf of individuals uh, just like everybody else does. I also do a lot of uh, public policy advocacy. Uh, so I do some individual litigation and um, on, on various committees and um, do impact advocacy as well and have done impact litigation in the past. One of the things that we had learned through our New Mexico Speaks crisis was that people aren't getting the services that they need. Can you talk to us more about how this relates to your work? Uh, after the takeover that you're all familiar with in 2013, virtually all of the Medicaid programs have come into what's known as Centennial Care as of January 2014. And what Centennial Care did was go back to an old system where there are four Medicaid managed care organizations that are, have contracts with the Human Services Department to administer Medicaid programs. Um, managed care organizations are Blue Cross Blue Shield, Molina, 
United and Presbyterian. So behavioral health is part of the new managed care system, uh, and a, a person would get services through one of the four managed care organizations. So that's the the current setup um, where we used to have uh, many, many more federal grants also in other funding streams. It, it is predominantly a, a Medicaid program. So Medicaid law and Medicaid rules, both um, federal and state, are what govern the operation of the Medicaid-funded behavioral health system. And can you talk to me about what that looks like for people with disabilities who are looking to get behavioral health services? In theory, uh, a person uh, is a patient in the managed care company. They're supposed to have, everybody's supposed to have what's called a health risk assessment annually. And then the health risk assessment is to identify particular health needs, including behavioral health needs. And then the next thing that's supposed to happen is if there's um, serious behavioral health issues going on, the person is assigned to what's called a level of care. Um, a person who's managing fine is, is a level of care one, and that um, means that they have a check-in once a year by phone. If the needs are more complex, there's level two and level three care coordination. And by definition, um, an adult with a serious mental illness or a young person with a serious emotional disturbance would be receiving level two or level three care coordination to help that young person and their families maneuver the system. So that's one point of entry. The other point of entry, and this is particularly for children and youth, are entitled under Medicaid to something called an EPSDT screen. EPSDT stands for Early Periodic Screening Diagnosis and Treatment. Um, in New Mexico, it's called a TOT to Teen Health Check. Besides finding out what's going on, you know, with your heart and lungs and the usual health care, the clinician is supposed to ask about um, behavioral health issues as well. And if the doctor, nurse practitioner, whatever, identifies a behavioral health problem uh, for which services are needed, then there's supposed to be a referral made to get that person behavioral health care. Children under Medicaid are entitled to case management services if their needs are um, that intensive. They're entitled to case management. Um, behavior management services assist kids to be able to participate in programs that have been a big support for kids with complex needs in schools. There's been a lot of back and forth about whether Medicaid would pay for BMS services in schools. There's um, a service called multi-systemic therapy that's supposed to help you know, bring in particular kinds of supports and services to a family to help keep their child in their home. There are residential treatment centers uh, which there are several in New Mexico. I have reason to believe there are waiting lists for um, those services, and some kids get sent out of state because they're not available here, which is not a therapeutic way of keeping a child connected with his or her family. Um, intensive outpatient services, which are used for uh, adults and kids who have substance abuse and mental health disorders. Um, my belief is there are very few of those around the state, um, there is treatment foster care. There's supposed to be psychosocial rehabilitation, which is uh, geared more towards um, older kids and to transition age kids because Medicaid is available for kids up to their 21st birthday. 
again, through this EPSDT, this Early Periodic Screening Diagnosis and Treatment, kids are entitled to whatever service is medically necessary to address their condition. So whether it's listed in this menu of services or it's listed in what's called the state plan or not, if that's what it takes to get a kid um, the services he or she needs to be able to to recover, he or she should be able to get that. And I do not believe in our fragmented system where uh, service providers are literally scrambling to get clinicians that that's available. And families don't know that they can even they can ask for that. So the notion about centennial care was that it's supposed to provide kind of a seamless continuum of care. So the person could go in to their doctor and be referred to the right level of care and have that managed. As was told to me by one service provider, in her opinion, that centennial care was for behavioral health was a list of services that are promised but not that we can't get. So part of the problem is that this continuum of services is hard to get to. And for some people, I think it's it, there's no continuum at all. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard to navigate and to really understand, especially as a person when you're experiencing some type of behavioral health crisis. Right. How does Disability Rights New Mexico work to actually help people navigate the system? One of our biggest frustrations is that fewer and fewer people come to us to ask for assistance. I've been in the system for a while. The system has been fairly similar, and they know what to do, and they get written notice of what their rights are. The behavioral health system, I think a couple of things have happened. Because there have been so many transitions in the last dozen years, it's been through so many iterations, and every iteration means something is lost. I think people are beat down that they are overwhelmed. And when you're talking about a a parent with a child with a complex behavioral health need or an adult with behavioral health disorder, it's hard enough to manage your life, much less find out where to go to reach out to get services. We do outreach and training. We talk to people and let them know we're here. uh, And then we don't hear from people. And the other thing that I believe to be true, but at the moment I can't absolutely say is true, is that in Medicaid, and certainly for children and youth, there's a process by which if um, if a service is denied or it's reduced or it's changed in some way, Medicaid is supposed to give notice. The managed care organization is supposed to give somebody a piece of paper saying, you asked for X, um, and we're going to give you X minus two, and you have a right to challenge that decision. I spoke to this parent who said she had no clue that that was the case. Um, And the level of care that I talked about earlier, if a person is assessed of being level of care one, they should be given, again, the piece of paper saying, we've assessed you and you're doing all right. We're going to give you a level of care one. But if you wish to challenge this decision, here's how to do that. I don't know that that's happening. And it's it's through that in Medicaid, and it's the notice and the opportunity to appeal. People have a right to, um, if they believe they're not getting the service they need in the, in the level or type, they should be able to say, wait a second, I disagree with you, and I want to challenge that. And I don't know that people aren't being given that opportunity. They're not being handed the people's paper to say, this is what you do if you if you have a different opinion about what it is that we're offering you. This mom I spoke to didn't know, 
And again, this is um, a mom who's been around the system a while, and it was it, it made me pretty sad. And I think that's part of the problem we don't hear from people is they don't know that they can challenge. They're, they're hunkering down and hanging on to whatever they get. And how can people get involved? Like, what can we do to help fix those wrongs? Well, the the, the first thing would be for us to be able to meet people like this mom I spoke to. We're starting to get the calls now because we've been doing, um, with some of your help, an outreach, a massive outreach campaign to let people know that they have rights. We're educating some providers who didn't know. Uh, if we collect enough data, we can do legislative advocacy. We can, uh, you know, in a Medicaid appeals process, there's a way to take things all the way through to court. Perhaps if we get enough uh, complaints of the same type, and we really are as certain as we can be about our numbers, um, bring that information to the Human Services Department, bring that information to the legislature. But again, for Disability Rights New Mexico, we start with the client. And the thing that's really saddened me is we haven't been able to get the clients because they don't even know that they have those opportunities, both the kinds of services that they may be entitled to, or they could even challenge the fact that they're not getting them. I saw that you were looking for people who are interested in serving on the Mental Health Advisory Council. Do you mind talking about that? By federal law, we are required to have an advisory council. One of our funding streams, and this is a mouthful, is called the Protection and Advocacy for Individuals with Mental Illness Act, which is a lot to say, so we call it PAMI. So we have what's called our PAMI Advisory Council, and the Advisory Council does exactly that. Um, it provides advice to our agency about what um, family members, um, those who use services, uh, those who provide services, and other advocates in the community saying, this is what we see what's going on. This is what we would like a Disability Rights New Mexico to address in the behavioral health field. This is what we think we need. Um, and they help us formulate our annual priorities and our action plans. And yes, we do have some vacancies right now. We're required to have representatives statewide. And again, uh, and we also want to make sure that we have a good ethnic mix as well. Uh, and we are required to have, I think the majority have to be either family members or preferably people who have been users of service because they know from the inside what it's like and what they may need or, and how recommendations for how to make things better and certainly what they would want us to do in an advocacy realm. Thanks for asking that. How can people get involved with that? Yes, if people are interested in, uh, well, learning anything about us, please go to our website, drnm.org. Uh, we have also have a Facebook page. We also have our 800 number, 1-800-432-4682. Uh, That's toll free from anywhere in the state. And if people are interested in applying for the Mental Health Advisory Committee, we would love applications. And um, again, we we welcome and very much value applications from people who used or have used services or their family members because they are the ones who know best how the system works or doesn't. Uh, and we're very much interested right now in hearing from parents and young people under the age of 21 who have used behavioral health services or are trying to use behavioral health services and are having trouble. Uh, we're really trying to uh, meet those folks to see if there are ways that we can assist them navigate 
uh, what's become um, not only complicated system, um, but a shakier system. Um, pretty much every several months, it seems like we go through another upheaval of some sort or another. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that with us. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Something to, especially for families, but pretty much for everybody, is they have a right to ask for what they need. And if they're being told, we don't have it, or no, we don't believe you need that intensive level of care, that is something that should be put in writing called a denial. And it should be an official statement from their managed care organization that they're not going to get what they want, either that it's less or they're told that they're not eligible or they're told that it's not available. They are entitled to that denial in writing because under Medicaid law, when they're given that in writing, they have their right to appeal that. And my fear is that people don't know that and the denials are not being given in writing. So people don't even know that they can challenge that. So if somebody's trying to get a service and they are told no, say, I want that in writing. But if they don't get it in writing, the game is we didn't say no. And and that unfortunately, we hear that a lot. They just told me no. But then I've got a written record of my attempt, which is then at least the tool in the door. Well, I just want to thank you for working to make sure that even in this shaky climate of behavioral health services, that you are working to make sure that they know their rights, they can protect their rights, and that they can get those services. So thank you for sharing so much information with us today. And thank you for being interested in and having me on. I appreciate it. This is Christina Rodriguez with Generation Justice. Nancy, I am so grateful for all the work that you do with Disability Rights New Mexico. Thank you for all your advocacy around demanding the rights for people who are disabled. You are greatly appreciated. Thank you, Nancy, for informing the disabled community on the certain rights they have. It inspires me to see an advocate representing the community and demanding they get the best treatment. Now let's get back into jamming with the music of Prudence Mapina and her band Layana, which is a powerful sound that echoes out of the country in crisis, Zimbabwe. The band's success is all the more extraordinary because all the members of Liana are physically disabled. Here is Going Nowhere by Prudence Mapina. Immigration is quickly changing the demographics of our country, and immigrants are positively shaping our present moment. In spite of this, much of what we hear from politics and media portrays immigrants as people to fear or even hate. So, to celebrate the lives and stories of immigrants, June is Immigrant Heritage Month. It's a time to recognize the contributions and diversity made possible through immigration. Ardiel Orozco is a program manager for the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center, which works to protect the rights of immigrants and keep families intact under the threat of deportation. Carla Malinar is the project coordinator of the New Mexico Dream Team, a student-led organization of undocumented students and allies who advocate for immigration reform. Adriel and Carla join us to talk about immigration policy and the upcoming Supreme Court ruling 
on Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, otherwise known as DAPA. Here is Kateri Zuni speaking with Adriel and Carla. I'm Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Adriel Orozco and Carla Molinar. Welcome to Generation Justice. Can I have you both introduce yourselves? My name is Adriel, and I work at the New Mexico Merit Law Center. I'm a program manager there, and I've been there since 2012. Thank you for having us. My name is Carla Molinar, and I'm the project coordinator for the New Mexico Dream Team, and I've been part of the Dream Team for about four years. It's wonderful to have you, too. Thank you. Will you tell me more about the Immigrant Law Center? NMILC has been around since 2010, and it really started through a collaborative effort. Before 2010, there was no organization in New Mexico that provided legal services to low-income immigrants in immigration court. I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but though immigrants have the right to have an attorney present in immigration court, they don't have the right to have one appointed if they can't afford one, which this means is that a lot of individuals, some even children as young as two or three or even babies, have to represent themselves in front of an immigration judge. And so the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center started to advance equity and justice in the immigrant community by providing free legal services to low-income immigrants, as well as providing, more recently, mentorship and skills development for youth who are interested in getting into the legal field. Currently, we provide legal services for immigration law cases, not for all of them, but if an individual has been a victim of a crime or has been a victim of domestic violence, mostly what individuals would consider humanitarian forms of relief. That's mostly what we do. We also have a program for DACA, and I'm not sure if people would know, but DACA was a 2012 initiative by the president, uh, President Obama, to temporarily halt the deportation of certain individuals who came into the United States before they turned 16. And we've actually established programs with schools across the city, with charter schools and public schools, to try to get more students to apply for this program. And currently, we actually have uh, workshops where people can just come in and ask questions about DACA uh, and see if they can apply. We also help them with filling out the application and helping them prepare it to the point where they're able to submit it on their own. Great. Thank you. And Carla, can you share more about the New Mexico Dream Team? Yes, of course. The New Mexico Dream Team is an undocumented student-led organization that's grassroots, that fights for the dignity and justice of immigrants' families, of mixed-status families. And really, the New Mexico Dream Team is the development of different waves of immigrant movements. Currently, we have four chapters. We have chapters here at the University of New Mexico, at CNM in high schools such as South Valley Academy and Rio Grande High School. We also have a chapter in the south of New Mexico in Las Cruces, all immigrant students and allies that want to make a change in their community. We've been very blessed to have amazing leaders and to do leadership development so that students who otherwise have no access to education or don't know that they can attend college are able to be connected to services, but also to become empowered so they can live normal lives. We're also very fortunate to be able to partner with other community organizations, those students that have been interested in law, been able to partner up with New Mexico Immigrant Law Center for them to get preparation for their careers, students that are focusing in health and want to become doctors or are studying currently in medical school. They're currently conducting a research focusing on health and undocumented students. 
we've also uh, been able to participate and volunteer with other organizations I mentioned and providing legal services, free legal services to our communities, whether that be TACA, DAPA, or as New Mexico Immigrant Law Center has developed a self-evaluation tool for other types of administrative reliefs. We've also been able to create a curriculum from our national affiliate, United We Dream, and from CEC, the Community Engagement Center, on how to liberate campus climate for undocumented students. And mm-hmm. we've been able to create Dream Zone training, which is similar to that of the LGBTQ. So we're able to train educators and staff members across the state for them to receive sensitive information on how to better support undocumented students and become allies. So the New Mexico Dream Team is a leadership development dedicated to fighting for justice, but also to connecting students with their careers and bettering the community in general. Getting back to DACA and DAPA, can you, Adriel, maybe explain a little more about what these actions are? I guess it's important for people to know that DACA is just a temporary form of relief. It doesn't have a path to citizenship. But... It really actually grew from the uh, youth immigrant movement that has really been pushing the administration to stop the massive deportations that have occurred during the Obama years. And so DACA is again a temporary form of relief. So an individual had to have entered before they were 16 years old. We're actually part of a statewide coalition with the Dream Team, which is called Listo Nuevo Mexico. And their website is listo, L-I-S-T-O, nm.org and people can find information about what the exact requirements are and so we have attorneys that they can speak with and if a person gets DACA they're eligible for a work permit and a social security card which actually helps out a lot of people right Mm. so that they can possibly get a better job one that they might be able to exercise more rights in and so there's Another program that has been mentioned, which is DAPA, and there's actually something else called the extension of DACA. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, President Obama announced an expansion of DACA. And essentially what he did is he modified some of the criteria. So he took away the upper limit. There was an upper age limit. And he also modified some of the dates that a person was required to be here in the United States. And he also established a new initiative for the parents of legal permanent residents and U.S. citizens. And those programs were aimed at providing temporary relief for up to 5 million people across the country. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about DAPA and the Supreme Court ruling that's expected at the end of the month. Can either of you explain what that's about? Yeah. So in December of 2014, 26 states sued the federal government, saying that the president didn't have authorization to establish these programs. And then the arguments vary from saying that these are actually programs that needed to be put into a comment process through regulations. There's something called the Administrative Procedures Act, and the president didn't do that. And there's another uh, part of that argument that's saying that the president is violating the Constitution. There's uh, something called the Take Care Clause that says the president must take care to enforce the laws of the United States. And so, you know, conservatives feel like he's not by preventing the deportation temporarily for certain individuals. And the government's argument has always been, this is just an executive action, right? This is not a new law. The idea is that because for so many years, since 1996, nothing has come out of the Congress that has substantially changed the legal positions of immigrants. And so what's happening is that you just have more and more undocumented immigrants in the country. He's saying, well, these families are living here for 
long periods of time. And it's unfair to allow people here because of lack of movement in the Congress to suddenly deport them after they've been here for a few years and have actually established their roots here. And the president can't deport them all. And we're actually fighting him against those deportations. There's back and forth whether someone thinks that it's right or wrong. And I actually just think it's a reality. And what happened was that there was a conservative judge in uh, Brownsville, Texas, that put a injunction. And what that really means is that it prevented the government from implementing the programs. And so in February, he put that injunction. I think it was the day before the extension of DACA was supposed to be implemented, which... I mean, we were all just ready, you know, we were ready to, to help out people, and then suddenly that happened. And so it came up to the Supreme Court. They heard oral arguments, which means that the attorneys were just presenting their arguments for the case in April. And hopefully this month we got a decision. And so we think that the arguments are there for some of the justices to come out in a majority in support of this program, and that's what we're expecting. If people think that they might be eligible for these programs, go to listonm.org. Listo Nuevo Mexico. We provide information up to date on those programs. The NMILC will probably also be having some type of fair or workshop in the future to help individuals apply. So just stay informed. I think that's just the main thing. Stay informed and stay alert. What would you want people to understand about immigrants or the immigrant experience here in the U.S.? Immigrant movement, immigrant rights, they really do transcend immigration reform efforts. We can never underestimate the effects that deportations have on families, family separation, and individuals, you name it. But also immigrants have this identity that it's very intersectional. We are immigrants, but that doesn't take away other barriers that we might face. We're people of color. Some of us belong to LGBTQ communities from different nationalities, from of different backgrounds. And I think that as we move forward in the immigrant community and the immigrant movement, it's important to highlight those barriers because the fight will not end with immigration mm-hmm. reform. For me, I do see how if we move our movement towards intersectionality and brotherhood and sisterhood with other communities, that I do see immigrants being an asset to this country. I think immigration is beautiful. I wish more people would take the time to understand, although individuals do make a choice to move borders. It has to do with concepts bigger than individuals, uh, whether it be national, international politics, globalization, economic free trade agreements, political unrest, and also how we move towards an age of globalization, economic globalization specifically, that requires migration, movements from places to place. The idea of globalization is merging of places freely. However, that applies only to economic goods and when people follow those goods. So I think that's very important to think about, especially in the upcoming election climate, when we hear a lot about immigrants stealing jobs, immigrants coming here to be criminals, and they just don't know how to obey the law. We know that the immigration system is designed to screen people and screen those that need it the most, which are poor people of color, women. That's just something that makes us understand a little better the picture of immigration and understanding the tragedies and violence people face in order to move to this country without documentations. Thank you. I think that's really well put. And how can people learn more about both New Mexico Dream Team or a New Mexico Immigrant Law Center? For New Mexico Dream Team, you can easily connect with us. You can access our Facebook page. You can find us at NM, 
Dream Team and shoot us a message. We'll respond to you very quickly. You can send us an email to dreamteam at unm.edu. And please feel free to ask us if we don't know the answer to something or if we aren't able to directly help you. Uh, we definitely will defer you to our partners or resources that can benefit you. NMILC has workshops every Wednesday from one to five, and if they go, if you go onto our website, you can see you can get our address. Um, and we're moving offices next month, so make sure to <laughs> to look at our website. And you don't go to the wrong place. Um, and yeah, there we just answer all kinds of different types of questions that people might have. So if people just want to know what DACA is, come in and we'll talk to you guys. Um, if you are halfway through your application and have had some type of issue or a snag, come in. We'll talk to you. Um, the real point, the real reason why we have these workshops is because we want as many people to be able to get, um, to apply uh, if they're able to and if they qualify. There are a lot of opportunities if individuals are interested in volunteering with our organization. We definitely welcome volunteers for our DACA workshop. And we also have other opportunities. We collaborate with the Dream Team a lot. We collaborate with other advocacy organizations. And so in the near future, we're going to have a training that focuses on how to be a, what we call a navigator to help people in other settings apply for DACA. And if we get a positive result from the Supreme Court with the extension of DACA and DAPA. And the awesome thing about that is sort of seeing how organizing connects with the legal work. So we're doing that with El Centro de Igualdad y Derechos. So if people are interested in that, again, go to our website or go to our Facebook page. We are definitely excited to work with anyone who's interested. And is there anything else that either of you would like to share? I just wanted to thank you so much for this opportunity to be on your show. I'm very thankful for being here, but also for what Generation Justice is, because we have definitely seen the need uh, for media that is a critical thinking media that is ethical, and that's definitely a community. So I invite everyone to support you all because I am 100% behind what you all do. So thank you. Thank you both so much for coming and taking the time to speak to us today. Not only the work that you do, but the messages that you're sending right now are so important, especially now. It's a very critical time in our, our society, in our country. And I appreciate everything that you're doing to undo that racism, that xenophobia, that hate that is so prevalent in our everyday lives. So I really appreciate it. And thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. For Generation Justice, I'm Kateri Zuni. Thank you, Adriel and Carla, for being advocates in the immigrant community and ensuring that families do not get separated by massive deportation. It's frustrating to see a person work so hard for a better life only to be oppressed by a system that strips away their rights. Adriel and Carla, it's been so inspiring to meet resilient people like yourself who, despite the obstacles, continue to fight for the rights of the immigrant community. It makes me angry to see America's discriminating immigration system treat people like slaves. I just want to thank you for everything you stand for because it gives me hope to see positive changes in the future. The work of the Immigrant Law Center and New Mexico Dream Team is greatly appreciated. Time for more music. This next song was selected by Adriel. It is called Stand Up by Flowbots. Flowbots. 
stand up. We shall not be moved except by a child with no socks and shoes. If you got more to give, then you've got to prove. Put your hands up and I'll copy you. Stand up. We shall not be moved except by a woman dying from a loss of food. If you've got more to give, then you've got to prove. Put your hands up and I'll copy you. We still don't understand thunder. Welcome back to Generation Justice. Tonight we have heard from folks in the community who work every day to protect the rights of immigrant families and persons with disabilities. We heard from Nancy Koenigsberg about behavioral health access for people with disabilities and from Adriel Orozco and Carla Marlinar about the importance of immigrant rights. Now it's that time in the show where we bring you all the awesome events around town. Let's join Katie and Derek for our community calendar. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's community calendar. I'm Kateri Zuni. And I'm Derek Toledo. So what's coming up first, Kateri? Our first event is actually coming up pretty fast. Tuesday, June 14th, the Albuquerque Biopark will host a Twilight Tour of the Zoo from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Folks are invited to come out and observe the sights and sounds of animal behavior at Twilight. The event features a tour of the zoo led by a personal guide. The tour starts promptly at 6.30, rain or shine. And because space is limited, online pre-registration is required. No walk-in tickets on sold-out tours. For more information about this event, call 505-768-2000 or send an email to biopark at cabq.gov. This sounds like such a cool way to experience the zoo and to learn more about our homies in the animal kingdom. Right? It's like the perfect time of the day, at night, when the wolves are at the best and they're howling away. But remember, not all of the animals will be out during this event. That's a good point. So tell me, Derek, have you ever heard of Biggle Snorts? Gesundheit. <laughs> no, Biggle Snorts. It's a toy store, and they're actually hosting an awesome event called, wait for it, Crafternoon. <laughs> oh, I get it. Crafternoon crafting in the afternoon, right? Yep. Every Wednesday, children ages 3 to 10 years old can get their crafting fix from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. I can smell the taste already. The store is located at 11200 Montgomery Boulevard Northeast, Suite 22. For more info, pick up the phone and dial 505-554-3452 or just send an email to jason at bigwellsnorts.com. Okay. This next one I've got is for all the foodies out there. It's called Salud y Sabor España. Mm, that sounds good. What's that mean anyway? Uh, well, my Spanish is a little rusty, but I'm pretty sure it means health and taste, which is perfect because Salud y Sabor is a monthly event held at the National Hispanic Culture Center who partners with Agricultura Network and the Street Food Institute to bring healthy cooking to the community. Everyone in the community is invited to check out the cooking demos, nutrition tips, live entertainment, and all the learning. The events are actually structured around traditional foods. And so this month, Salud y Sabor looks to Spain for inspiration. The event is from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Thursday, June 16th in the Dominici Education Building. For more information on this tasty tradition, contact Elena Baca at 505-246-2261 at extension 167. So Derek, what else have we got in our big bag of events? We've got another event from the National Hispanic Culture Center. 
This one is part of an ongoing exhibition inspired by the novel, The House on Mango Street. Awesome. Is that happening at the center? Actually, it's a guided tour of the historic Burrells neighborhood led by Gabrielle Ubalas, executive director of Working Classroom. The House on Mango Street exhibit allows artists to interpret community spaces to understand how the physical environments around us shape our identities. It's a really powerful way to be both introspective and appreciative of our surroundings. The walking tour is Saturday, June 18th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you would like more information, call 505-246-2261. This next event is also a really great way to get involved in the community. La Placita Institute, along with American Friends Service Committee, New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence, Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, and Veterans for Peace. They've all joined forces to create peace in the community. It's called Guns into Gardens, From Weapons of Destruction to Tools of Construction. And it's a unique event where weapons will be repurposed into useful tools for enriching the community. Things like gardening tools. This event will also feature poets, musicians, speakers, and refreshments. Guns into Gardens will be held at La Placita Institute at 831 Isleta Boulevard Southwest in Albuquerque. It's an all-day event from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you would like more information, please call 505-508-1802. This is such a clever idea, and it's got a powerful message of hope and healing. Because in times of chaos, we could all use a little peace. We need growth and not destruction. Our last event is for all the fathers out there. That's right, Derek. On June 19th, people can head back to the Albuquerque Zoo for Father's Day Fiesta and Zoo Dad's Discovery Day. From 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., dads are invited to relax listen to some live tunes, and have a chance to win some prizes. And from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., there will be discovery stations for the whole family to learn about the awesome animal dads at the zoo. So, Dad, if you're listening, there will be some chill jams, cool snacks, and you could also check out my homies over there, the Wolf Pack. Oh! If you would like more information on this or other biopark events, call 505-768-2000. Or email biopark at cabq.gov. Well, there are so many ways to be active in your community. So stay on the lookout for our next weekly calendar. I'm Derek Toledo. And I'm Kateri Zuni. Before we join our hosts, Tamara and Brennan, here is John Legend and Juanes performing Bob Marley's classic Redemption Song. We're here because we want to bear witness to what's happening so we can tell the world about it. Oh, pirates, yes, they rob I Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I It's time to end another great show. We'd like to thank Nancy Koenigsberg from the Disability Rights New Mexico Carla Molinard from the New Mexico Dream Team, and Adriel Orozco from the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. We'd also like to thank our calendar hosts, Derek Toledo and Kateri Zuni. Production assistance for the show came from George Luna Pena, Kateri Zuni, Tamara Kalake, Christina Rodriguez, Polly Dinekla, and Roberta Rael. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, 
where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe. We're also active on social media, so be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Con Alma Health Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm Tamara Kalaki. And I'm Brennan Olivier. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Words, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Have a blessed week, fam. Oh,